tonight. Aren't you glad you know he was God? Well, for the sake of reading something from the scripture, let's go to 1 Timothy 3. 1 Timothy 3. As you know, Jesus was not just a good man, a good teacher, or a prophet. In fact, one day Jesus asked his disciples, who do men say that I am? And they began to answer, well, some men say you're Elijah, some men Jeremiah, John the Baptist, or one of the prophets. Then Jesus looked at them and said, who do you say I am? And Peter said, they are the Christ, the Son of the living God. So he got a revelation that Jesus Christ was God. 1 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 16. 1 Timothy 3, 16. And without controversy, great is the mystery of the Holy Trinity. <laughs> well, that's, that's the lot of the doctrines that are taught today. You start talking about the Trinity doctrine. Let me explain to you just briefly what that is. They teach that there are three separate persons in the Godhead. That is not biblical. They teach that not only are there three separate persons, Father, Son, Holy Ghost, are all separate persons. They teach that the Son is co-eternal with the Father. You, you with me here? Well, the Bible doesn't teach neither one of those. The Bible says that Jesus was God come in the flesh. Okay. Now, so he is not a part of a trinity of persons. Amen. Nor is he co-equal co with the Father and co-eternal with the Father. Those terms co-equal concerning Jesus Christ, those terms co-equal with the Father co-eternal with the Father, are you with me, are not Bible. Jesus was begotten, okay? So, but when you start talking about some of this, about who Jesus Christ was, you get the response from people, well, it's a trinity. He's a trinity. You know, he's a part of a trinity. Amen. And they say, well, it's just a mystery. You can't explain it or you can't understand it and they call the trinity a mystery that's why i read that like that to show you it's not in the bible even that statement that they make it, another statement you know co-eternal co-equal with the father etc and a trinity or the trinity is a mystery that's not biblical terminology Okay, so if you got your Bibles open, let's see what the Bible says then in 1 Timothy 3. And I'm going to read it again, verse 16, like that. Because that's the way most people would have you read the Bible. And without controversy, great is the mystery of the Trinity. The word Trinity is not even in the Bible. Co-eternal, co-equal, Trinity. Those things are not in the Bible. And the saying that the Trinity is a mystery is not in the Bible. So let's find out what the Bible says. Now, 
great and without controversy. Great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh. We're looking at 1 Timothy 3.16. And without controversy, there's no controversy. Great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh. So the mystery is not, we don't walk around and say, well, it's a mystery. We don't know for sure who Jesus was. We know godliness, Jesus being God, is not a mystery. What is a mystery is how that was accomplished and how that came about. That's a mystery. Now, I know the Holy Ghost overshadowed Mary. She was with child, you know, etc., etc. But I'm talking about the actual event. Can you imagine God robing himself in a little baby and being born into this earth? Deity coming in the form of dust. Can you imagine that? How far did God have to travel? You with me? To be sitting on the throne, invisible God, surrounded by an angelic host, and then one day move inside of a little baby. How far did deity come to inhabit dust? Now that, that's a mystery. And he did that because he loves you and he loves me. He did not, look, he did not one day in way back in eternity, you know, we're talking about eternity past, look at his son who was already with him and say, son, someday I'm going to send you down there to those people. Mm -mm. God came himself. God tabernacled himself. He moved into that little baby body. Are you with me here? He became a man. So he added another dimension to himself that he didn't have before. That dimension was humanity. So that's why the Bible says, and without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. Not that Jesus was God, but how that came about. God, say with me, God. God was manifest or revealed in what? In the flesh. The Bible goes on and says, Justified in the Spirit, seen of angels, preached unto Gentiles, believed on in the world, and received up into glory. Amen. That's what the Bible says. So when you look at Jesus Christ, who was Jesus Christ, the Scripture clearly tells me who He was. Not just a good man, not just a good teacher, not just a prophet, but God manifest in the flesh. Now, God is a spirit. He's omnipresent. He's everywhere. He's omniscient. He knows everything. He's omnipotent. He has all power. But this omnipresent spirit of God took upon himself the form of a man and walked among us as God with us. 
So when you talk about Jesus, let me just show you up here if you would look. Are you clear on this so far? Who was Jesus Christ then? God manifest in the flesh. As the Son of God, what are we talking about when we use these terms, Son? When you say He's the Son of God, are you saying He's the second person? Mm -mm. When you talk about, when, you use, when the Bible uses this term, Son of God, you're talking about His humanity. God becoming visible to us in the form of a human man. So when I talk about the Son, I'm not talking about the second person. I'm talking about the nature of God called humanity. But I'm also, when I use this term Son of God, I'm talking about His deity at the same time. Okay? Say Son, humanity, of God, deity. Right there. You got it? So, as a son of God, the fleshly human man, as the spirit, he's the great eternal God. So that Jesus said in John 10 verse 30, he said, I and my father are one. Are one. Do you understand that? So that means this, that Jesus Christ, it's not two persons or three persons, but it's dual nature. There is a true dualness to Jesus. Don't walk around and say there's no duality in Jesus. That's not true. There is a true, a, a true duality to Jesus. But it's not persons, it's natures. He was 100% God and 100% man at the same time. Not half man and half God. 100% God, the Spirit of God was in him, and 100% man. He had a body, he had a, a human soul, he had a human spirit, and he had the Spirit of God inside of him. Everything that makes up man, Jesus was, and everything that makes up God, Jesus well was and is so again it's not two persons but it's two natures when you look at the Lord all right so he said I and my father are one right John 10 30 look these up if you want to I'm, I don't have time to read all the scriptures tonight but I'm going slow enough tonight if you want to turn to the scriptures you can read these Jesus said I and my father are one amen now some people say well He's one with the Father like a husband and a wife. Have y'all ever heard anybody say that? Okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get down here with you because I got to know that you're getting this. Okay, because this is really important. Because if you don't believe that Jesus is God, you will be lost. You will die and, and, and be lost. Jesus said this, if you don't believe that I am, you will die in your sins. You must believe that he's greater than just a good man, greater than just a good teacher, greater than just a prophet. But you, you must believe in order to be saved. There are very few statements that I'll make from the pulpit like this. Okay, like for example, pre-trip, post-trip. 
If you're pre-trib or post-trib, doesn't matter as far as your salvation is concerned. But where you stand in your relationship to His deity is heaven or hell. If you don't believe that Jesus was God, you will perish. Jesus said Himself, you will die in your sins. So what I am telling you right now is heaven or hell. It's salvation or lost. That's why this is so important. You must believe that Jesus was God come in the flesh or you will not be in heaven. Wow. Okay. So when, we, when Jesus says, I and my Father are one, some people try, who like to, to separate the Father and the Son into two persons will say, well, He's one with the Father as a husband and a wife's one. They're one in purpose. One in, you know, they're un in unity together in purpose. Right? That's what, how many of y'all heard anybody say that? I'm going slow, and I'm, I'm going real slow, because you got to get this. Okay, the word there, I and my Father are one, li is literal oneness. It, it's, he is one in purpose also. See, don't throw that out to try to establish, you know, his absolute oneness. Don't say, well, no, he's not, he's not one in union. Yeah, he is one in union. He's one in purpose. He's one in mind. He's one in will with the Father. That's true. But he is, when you look at Jesus, you're looking at God. You, if, you, if Jesus were to walk in this room right here physically, you would be looking at God himself in human form. That's what you need to understand about oneness. So, come here, Christina. Come here, real quick. All right, we are married. So we are, God made us one flesh when we got married, okay? But, you know, we're not one like Jesus is, one with the Father. Okay, there's still two of us, right? Okay, so when you've seen her, you haven't seen me. And when you've seen me, you haven't seen her. And so Jesus said, I and my Father are one. In John 14, he said this. They asked, you know, well, the disciples said, show us the Father. And it will satisfy us. And Jesus said this. When you've seen me, John 14, when you've seen me, you've seen the Father. So my point is this, he claimed to be literally God manifest in visible form among men. So that when they saw him, they saw God in human form, in a visible form. So he wasn't just one with the Father like me and my wife are when I saw Jesus. And he's the only God you'll ever see. There will not be a second throne in heaven and a third throne in heaven. The only throne in heaven there's well as far as deity is concerned is God's throne Revelation says Revelation 4 said they saw one throne and one setting on the throne so when you see Jesus and you will lost or saved you will see him someday 
It's not only the saved that are going to see him someday. Even the lost are going to see him someday. They are going to stand before his throne. And the only God the lost is ever going to see or the saved is ever going to see is Jesus Christ. That's it. They won't see another throne. Father sitting on one, sitting on, son sitting on another one, and the Holy Ghost sitting on another. That is not going to happen. And there's some people who claim, well, I died, went to heaven, saw three thrones. You didn't die and go to heaven. You were hallucinating or the devil pulled one on you. Because there's only one throne, one God, and one sitting on that throne. And the only God that you're ever going to see is Jesus Christ. That's why he said, I and my Father are one. And if you, when you've seen me, you have seen the Father. Now watch. As the Son of God, Jesus had a beginning. His humanity had a beginning. So you cannot call him co-equal or co-eternal. You can't call the body that God lived inside of co-equal or co-eternal. How can you be begotten and be eternal at the same time? When the word begotten literally means, the word begotten literally means to have been made or born of man. So he had a birthday. He had a time when he was born as a man, but as God, he's eternal. You with me here? So when I talk about the Son of God, he is not co-eternal. He is not co-equal. He is begotten. He had a beginning as the Son, but as God, he had no beginning. So you understand how important this is. How many of y'all believe Jesus is God? Well, praise God, the majority of the church world today will clap their hands and say, Yes, I believe Jesus is God. But in what way do you believe Jesus is God? Do you believe He's one-third God? Do you believe that He is a part of a Godhead? A family of a Godhood? A family of gods? Do you believe that the Godhead is in Him? Or do you believe that He's in the Godhead? I'm, oh, y'all looking at me funny. What, what do I mean by Godhead? Deity. The word Godhead means deity. When I talk about the Godhead, I'm talking about the headquarters of God, where God resides. So, is he a part of the Godhood, Father, Son, Holy Ghost separate? Or is the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost the Godhead in him? So is he in the Come here, Brother Patrick. Come here, Brother Mark. Stand right here. These are representatives only. We know this isn't God the Father and this isn't the Holy Ghost. And I'm for sure not Jesus as far as I am in my... Well, anyway. But here's the point. Is Jesus in the Godhead like this? Or is the Godhead in Him? One. One. So that when you see Jesus, you see the Father and the Holy Ghost. That's the point. 
He is not in the Godhood or the Godhead. The Godhead is inside of him. And the Bible says, Colossians 2, it's in him bodily. The only body you'll ever see, I said the only body you'll ever see is Jesus' body. That's Colossians 2. You got the point. So, yeah, as I said, everybody, yeah, Jesus is God, but in what way? One-third God? A, one of the persons of the Godhead? The second person in the Godhead? Or is all the fullness of the Godhead inside of Him? Colossians 2 says it's in Him. That's how the Bible teaches the Godhead. But men teach it the other way. That Jesus is in the Godhead. Not the Godhead is in Jesus. Now this is very, very simple. What I just gave you. Very simple. Now, and he's not only divine. You've heard the term divine. Divine means you have the attributes of God. But he's more than just divine. He, he doesn't just have the attributes of, of God. I have the divine nature. When I got filled with the Holy Ghost, the Bible says I got filled with the divine nature. Okay? Are you with me? So I have the power of God by the Spirit, etc. But Jesus was not just divine. He, was, he didn't just have the attributes of God. He was very God of very God. Amen. In the Spirit. He's deity. So are you clear on all of this? Everybody clear? I'm telling you, it, it, it's go, the difference is going to be heaven and hell. Because Jesus said it himself, lest you believe I am. And the word he is in italics. In John chapter 8. He said, lest you believe I am. Who's I am? The eternal God. The word I am, literally, that he gave, that God gave Moses in Exodus chapter 3. He said, tell them I am, that I am is sending you. So the word I am is literally God. The unbeginning, uncreated God. So when Jesus said, lest you believe I am. If you don't believe that I am unbeginning, uncreated God, you will die in your sins. It is heaven or hell. It's vital that you understand what I'm telling you today. Because there are so-called preachers behind pulpits that tell you that he's a part of a trinity of persons. Three separate persons, co-eternal, co-equal with the Father. That's not Bible. As the Spirit of God, the, God, the Spirit of God was in him, that is he. He is eternal. But as a man, he had a beginning. So when I looked at Jesus, there is a true duality. But it's not persons. It is natures. Humanity and deity in the same person of God. Give God some praise. This message, this right here, along with prophecy, excites me more than anything that I ever teach. Because if when you get an understanding, now here's the thing though, you have to have a revelation of this. 
I can stand up here and I can teach you. But until you get a revelation of the Spirit, you'll not understand what I'm telling you. But as soon as you get a revelation by the Spirit, the light comes on. And everything I have just said on the inside of you say, that's right, that's right, that's right, that's right, that's right. But it's revealed to us by His Spirit. So, 1 Timothy 3.16, without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh. That's what the Bible said. And I think I'll preach what the Bible says. Now, some of you are blessed enough to have not yet been indoctrinated by people who bring false teaching to you. So you don't understand me tonight because you've never heard anybody come around and tell you, well, he's a part of a trinity of persons. You know, so for you, you're saying, well, of course, Pastor. Of course we believe what you're saying. But I'm trying to tell you that out there in the religious churchianity of our day, not everybody is preaching this message. So, so, what makes a difference between this church and many other churches, if you're wondering, well, can I just go anywhere and be a part of any church? They all love Jesus. One key, very important thing that makes this church different and many other churches like us different is that we believe that Jesus was God come in the flesh. That's a very key and a very important difference between this church and many other churches out there. So whenever you hear preachers start using a term like the Trinity, no, oh, that's not Bible. It's not in there co-equal, co-eternal concerning the Son. That's not Bible. Okay, y'all with me? God was manifest in the flesh. How exciting that is to know that Jesus was God. You can't compare him. Don't, don't get even in a comparison game. You can't compare him with Buddha. You can't compare him with Hinduism. You can't compare him with Rosie Krishna. You can't compare him with Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Daniel, Hosea, Joel. You can't compare him with any man who's ever lived because he was God come in the flesh. He was unlike any man who's ever walked this earth. And your soul, your soul, salvation depends on you understanding and believing that God came in the flesh. Well, let me back up just a little bit. Your soul salvation depends on you believing that. You might not understand everything about it. It takes us a, a, a year to teach the oneness of God to you. Okay? So you might not understand everything about it, but you must believe it or you will be lost. You cannot be saved without it. That's how important this is. That's why I can't just go join any church I want to. Woo! Shalababahoko said if you said in systems of religion that believe in the doctrine of the Trinity, you better get out of there as fast as you can. 
Because, anyway, I'm not... Let me go on here. I'm trying to emphasize to you this great, great truth that we have tonight. It's an awesome truth. Man, that's where the power comes. It's a, it's, it's a, it's a dividing line. It's a separating line. And some, some people say, well, Jesus doesn't want us to be divided. He didn't divide you. Your doctrine divided you. I said, your I said, your doctrine divided you. Your doctrine set you apart from the rest of the religious world who believes that there are three separate persons. You're not going to see him that way. You're going to see Jesus sitting on the throne. God, the only God you're ever going to see is Jesus Christ. Okay. So as the son, he was born a baby or a son. You with me here? Matthew 1, 23. Y'all can write, write these down. Matthew 1, 23 through 25. Okay? Praise God. Now, but he is also the mighty God. Because in, even in Matthew chapter 1, 21 through 23, the angel says, you're going to call his name Jesus, for he shall save he shall save. I said, He shall save His people from their sins. But not only is He going to be called Jesus, He will be known as Emmanuel in Matthew 1. So even Matthew 1, at the time of His birth, He's going to be known as Emmanuel, which means with us God. Yeah, woo, praise God. So when he was born, he was unlike anybody who's ever been born. He, he was born to save us. His name, Jesus, saves us. But he is Emmanuel. He is God with us, or literally with us, God. Can you, can you comprehend deity coming down here and taking on the form of dust and walking among us? Look at the life of Jesus. You know who he ran with? He ran with tax collectors. He ran with diseased folk. He ran with common people. He ran with rejects. Woo! That's who he hung with. I'm talking about God, the creator of the heavens and the earth, who said, let there be light. And there was... He didn't just say, let there be light one time. He said, let there be light, 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 light. A progressive proceeding, ongoing word. Let there be light, 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 light. So that light still continues. And it's that God that came and enrobed himself in a little baby and cried and wet his pamper and dirtied his pamper and had to be changed. That God came from so high. In fact, the most high God came from the most high place to, to walk among the lowest of men to save us when he came. That's the message. That's the gospel, Emmanuel, with us, God. That don't excite you, your fire, your wood's wet. I never get tired of hearing the glorious message of the oneness of God. 
Awesome. As a man, he increased in wisdom. As a man. But as God, he knows all things. And that's Luke 2, 52. Increased in wisdom. That's as a man. As God, he knows all things. John 21, 17. Hallelujah. Isn't that awesome? I said he knows all things. That means he's omniscient. But as a man, he's not omniscient. As God, he's omniscient. Which means there's time that he's walking as a man. That he chooses not to know all things. But as God, he knows. Now that's a mystery to me. How he can walk in this world and as a man not know all things. But yet as God know all things. How in the world can, can you walk like that? Walk. That, now that's the mystery. So at any time he wanted to, as a man, he could tap into his deity and his deity would reveal everything to him. And at the same time, as a man, he could refuse not to know some things. That, that blows my mind. I, that, that just blows my mind. As a man, he grew hungry. He didn't get hungry as God, did he? God owns everything. He owns everything. Which of us can feed God? So as a man, he grew hungry. But as God, and as a man, he grew hungry. Let me give you that scripture. This is Matthew. I can't read that. That's, yeah, thank you. <laughs> yeah, four. Matthew 4, when he went on that fast, he grew hungry as a man. But as God, he fed the multitudes. Let me give you that scripture. Some of you write them down. Matthew 14, 19 through 21. So as God, he has the power to take just five loaves and two fishes and feed multitudes of people. As a man, he, okay, you get the point. I'll be here all night if I don't get it going here. As a man, he was a servant. As God, he's king of kings. Got it? Say king of kings, lord of lords. Okay, uh, Philippians 2, 7, he's a servant. He, as God, is king of kings, Revelation 19 and verse 16. How can he be a servant and the king of kings at the same time? He's got a dual nature. Awesome. As a man, he dwelt on the earth. John 1, 14, right? With me? John 1, 1. In the beginning was the Word. Turn there in the Bible. You got time to do it. Turn there in the Bible. John 1 and 1. In the beginning was the Word. Right? In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. And the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. Who? What? His Word. Right? Then John, and then that, that Word was God. John 1, 14. And the Word, who is God, became flesh. John 1, 14. Became flesh and dwelt among us. 
and we beheld his glory as of the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. So the Word, John 1, 1, the Word was God. The Bible said in verse 14, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, tabernacled among us. You got it. But as God, Genesis, or no, Colossians 1, yeah, that's good. Colossians 1, 16 through 17, He created the earth. As a man, He dwelt here, but as God, He created it. There's nothing that was made that was not made by Jesus. But I thought the Bible said that God created the heavens and the earth. Well, that's what I'm trying to show you. That he's got to be God. If God created the heavens and the earth, as the scripture says, and then in Colossians it says there was nothing that was made that was not made by him, that means he has to be God if he's the only one who made it. And the Bible said God created it. Then he had to be God. Even, as cre even in creation. Woo, I get excited. Come. As a man, Luke 22, 40, 44. He prayed. Say as a man, he prayed. But as God, he answers prayer. John 14, 13. Now, here we go. Let's talk about this just a little bit, okay? Some people say, well, we got proof that Jesus is separate from the Father because, look, he's praying in the garden. Right? Hanging on the cross, he says, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? He has to be separate from the Father, so they say, because, look, he's praying. He's praying in the garden, praying on the cross. But the Bible says, that all flesh has to pray. The scripture says in the psalm, Psalms, to him that answers prayer, all flesh must come. So if Jesus is a man, with me, then as a man, all flesh, he has to go and pray to the Spirit, to the Father. It's not one God praying to another God. It's not one person praying to another person. And it's not even Jesus praying to himself. It's the Son, it's the flesh praying to the Spirit that is inside of him. Let me see if I can find that for you in, in, in Psalms. Okay, I'm just going to try. Because I'm just going with the flow here right now. See if I can find this for you so you know what I'm talking about when it comes to prayer. I think it's 62, 65-2. Yeah, thank you. That's right. Okay, watch this. Watch this. So it's not one God praying to another God. It's not Jesus praying to himself. It's his humanity praying to the eternal spirit that's in him. So here what we hear, 65.2. O thou that hearest prayer, unto thee shall all flesh come. So as a man, he had to pray as a man. 
So it's not one God praying to another God. And that really, see, that really messes them up. And I say them, if those people who believe that he's co-eternal, he's separate from the Father, and he's co-eternal and co-equal with the Father, well, why is one God praying to another God then? It, why would you have one equal praying to another equal? You see, it's the, it's the, the, the subjected one that has to pray to the higher one. It has, the lesser one has to pray to the greater one. And if he's co-equal, even in his humanity with the Spirit of God that's in him, there's no need for him to pray if he's co-equal. So, you know, their, their doctrine's messed up. It's not one God praying to another God. It's not the Son praying to himself. It's that lesser humanity praying to the greater deity that's inside of him. Woo, I feel the Holy Ghost. All, all you Trinitarians out there don't like what I'm preaching. God, I'm being real nice tonight. You see, I got, I got that kind of spirit on me tonight. It's real meek and quiet, gentle and tender. I'm serious. I... I mean, when I first stepped up here, I was scared half to death. And I still am. Do you understand? So as a man, he prayed. As a man, he prayed. But as God, he answers prayer. Ah, awesome! When you know the truth, there's nothing like it. There's nothing like it. The truth will make you free. It makes you free. Nothing like it. His oneness is not a mystery. I will agree with you that your Trinity doctrine is a mystery. Yeah. Let's go on. As a man, he was, he, he was our sacrifice for sins. Hebrews 9.26 That is why God came as a man to die for us. Acts 20 and verse 28, it says this, that God purchased the church with his own blood. Write it down. Acts 20, 28. God purchased the church. God did. God did. Purchased the church with his own blood. Now, if God, John 4, 24, if God is a spirit, there was a time when God didn't have a body. So what God had to do in order to purchase us with his own blood is he had to add blood to himself. He had to add flesh to himself. He had to add a body to himself because he's spirit. So the body that he added to himself was his humanity or the son. But the father, deity, the spirit of God was inside of that body. And when Jesus died through that body, the eternal spirit purchased you with his blood. So that you've got to hear this because I'm going all the way to the cross tonight. So that when Jesus died, the blood that was shed for you was not just human blood, but it was the blood of God. It was the blood of God that was shed for you. Because if it was just human blood, then he, were, he had sin 
in his blood and he could not die for us but as God the blood that flowed through his veins was the blood of deity so that God purchased the church with his own blood Acts 20 28 as a man he was a sacrifice sin God putting on that nature so he could die for us but as God he forgives sins now sacrifice of sins Hebrews 9 26 as God he forgave sins Mark 2 5 y'all got it Woo, hallelujah isn't God awesome are you getting this do you understand the blood of Jesus was the blood of God himself his blood wasn't tainted with sin. He didn't have the blood of, his, of that old Adam. That old fallen nature. He didn't have that. that. This was pure blood. This was holy blood. This was untainted blood. Never, he never did any sin. There was no sin in him. So Acts 20, 28 says that he purchased the church with his own blood. God did. Now, Jesus is the one that died on the cross. But watch this. When Jesus died on the cross as a sacrifice for our sins, did God die that day? No. You can't kill God because God is a spirit. Then what died? The nature called Son, the humanity, the flesh part of God died that day. Well, I know y'all know all this. Hallelujah. But I sure am anointed for y'all to be sure so uninterested un as a man he died because God don't die you can't kill God that's why God had to add to himself another nature Ooh, yeah yeah as as God he arose Luke 24 1 through 6 as God heroes now he's so awesome here's the here's the key this can what gets confusing as you're reading the scripture you're thinking boy it sounds like he's talking to somebody else and, and, and watch this well one day he's looking at these people in front of him and he said destroy this temple talking about his body destroy this temple and in three days I'll raise it he said, I'll, he said, I'll raise it. Now, the Bible says in the epistles especially that God raised him from the dead. So sometimes, here's the thing you've got to see. As you're reading through the Bible in the Gospels, when he's speaking, here's two questions. Is he speaking as man or is he speaking as God? Is he acting as a man? Christ who's talking who's acting right then is it God or is it his humanity praise God give God praise so he looks at those people and said you destroy this temple and in three days I'll raise it up when he said I'll raise it up that's God talking when he's hanging on the cross he says my God my God why hast thou forsaken me that's man talking Ooh, glory to God. 
Nothing like it, son. Nothing like it in the world. Nothing like this message. Nothing like it. There's nothing like it. Ooh, hallelujah. Let's go on a little further here. The scripture says this. Now, <clears throat> this is First uh, John 5, 7. Okay, I'm over here on this side. For those of you who are looking on this. Okay. I can't get this any further down. Uh, I hope that's not blocking your vision. But on this side. First John 5, 7. Here's what it says. There are three that bear record in heaven. The Father, the Word, and the Holy Ghost. Now, now, now. All the Trinitarians just shouted. No, not really. I'm just... <laughs> well, see, Pastor, right there it says there's three. Three that bear record in heaven. <laughs> well, it does say there's three that bear record in heaven. The Father, the Word, and the Holy Ghost. And these three are one. It does not say these three are three. It says these three are one. Woo! Hallelujah. He's an awesome God. So John 14, we already quoted this to you. I and our Father are one. And he said in John 14, let me give you the verses, 7 through 11. Remember this? Show us the Father. We want to see the Father. And it'll satisfy us. Or that old King James says, it'll suffice us. Suffice us. Uh, yeah. We'll be satisfied. It is. Have I been so long with you, Philip? And you don't know who I am? When you've seen me, you've seen the Father. You're looking at him. So you ought to be satisfied. Because I just told you you're looking at him. But you should have known it all the time. Mm. Yeah, woo. My brother, I'm about to get crazy here. I'm about to get crazy happy, man. Can I tell you something? If you're going through all kinds of battle and oppression and all kinds of conflict... You just open your Bible and start studying the oneness of God. Or you go to a Bible study class that's teaching the oneness of God. And it has so much power. It transforms the situations. It transforms the circumstances. It drives demons out of your way. It takes your mind and renews it. There's something very powerful about this message. It, it has power to renew us. And so he goes on, and this is Isaiah 44. Yeah, 44. I think that's 15. He says this, I am the first and the last. God is speaking in Isaiah. Now, when you go through the prophet Isaiah, it's one of the greatest prophets on, on, on the deity of God, the godness of God. He's one of the greatest prophets who write on the godness of God and all the prophets of the Bible. Are you with me? And one, not after another, prophecy about Jesus Christ, who he would be. You with me? 
And so he, and God is speaking, he says, I am the first and I am the last. And beside me, there is no God. No God. <laughs> Woo! And so some people today say, well, Jesus is sitting on a throne beside the Father. So they know more than God knows. Because God said this. He said, beside me, there is no God. Which means he had to check, check this out. Uh, no God on my right side. No God on my left, left hand side. No God sitting on a throne on my left hand. And no God sitting on a throne on my right hand. No God beside me. No God beside me. In front of me. Behind me. On my right, on my left, above me or below me. There is no God beside me. I am it. I'm it. I'm the first. I'm the last. And Jesus, in the book of Revelation, says the same thing. I am the first and the last. I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the ending. The, the almighty God. Not just mighty God, but almighty God. So there's no God but Jesus. So for all you out there who know more than God, come and talk to me at the church. Who believe that there's three thrones in heaven and that each one of those persons are God. God said, I looked and there's no God beside me. Yeah, I know this, Pastor. I know what you're preaching. Yeah, but has it got a hold of you? It's got to get a hold of you. How many of this message has got a hold of you? I mean, it's got a hold of you. It's awesome. And I'm not saying that to get your response. Pity, pity, pity. Hello. I'm just excited because I know him. Yeah. Woo. I was going to tell you something, but I'm not going to. Let's, let's talk about it. Okay. Right here. You with me here? Okay. John 1.14. The word was made flesh and dwelt among us. There are three that bear record in heaven, the Father, the Word, and the Holy Ghost. These three are one. The Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. Amen. Now watch. He said, I'm the first and the last, and beside me there is no God. Amen. Before me, he said, there, watch this. And this is Isaiah 43, 10. That other one was Isaiah 44, 15, or 16. 16. Check it out. It's either 15 or 16. It's in that chapter. I can't read this thing. Before me there was no God formed, neither shall there be after me. Isaiah 43.10. So he said, before me, no God formed. And there won't be one after me either. That's it. And so, summing this all up, he, Jesus said this, If you believe not that I am he, 
ye shall die in your sins. End of story. Put a hun put a hundred exclamation points beside it. If you don't believe that I am he, you shall die in your sins. And the word I am speaks of God, the eternal God. You don't believe? Why are y'all so happy out there? Look like somebody shot you with something. Did you just get some bad news? No, y'all happy, okay. All right, so y'all understand who Jesus is, right? Well, I'm going to have to go on because I got, I got a whole Bible study to finish. Now, one day Jesus, again, we quoted it the first part of this lesson. Jesus asked the question. See, he is concerned about what you think about him. He's... He is concerned about what you believe concerning his nature. I said he's concerned. Some say, well, he don't really care. It don't really matter to God what you believe about, you know, is it Trinity or is it oneness? It does matter. He asked the question, he says, who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? What are they saying out there about me? The South say, well, some say you're Elijah. Some say you're Jeremiah. One of the prophets, John the Baptist. Oh, that's what they're saying. Mm. Who do you say that I am? And Peter said, thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. I know who you are. You're not just a prophet. You're not just a good man. You're not just... <laughs> You are the Son of God. You are deity. You are God come in the flesh. And so Jesus looks at Peter and says, Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood hath not revealed this unto you, but my Father which is in heaven. My Father which is in heaven. And you say, when, you, when I've seen you, I've seen the Father. Flesh and blood hasn't revealed this to you, Peter, but my Father which is in heaven, yeah. Because when Jesus was walking here, all of the Spirit of God wasn't inside of him. He never lost any of his attributes of, as God. He never lost his omnipresence. He never lost his omnipotence, his all-power. He never lost his omniscience, his all-knowing. He never lost any of those attributes. If he were truly God, that means there was some of the Spirit that was outside of him. All of the quantity of God was not in him, but all of the quality of God was in him. Let me get over here where I can feel the Holy Ghost. I said all the quantity of God's Spirit was in him, him, but all the quality of God. He said this, all the fullness of the Godhead, not quantity-wise, but quality-wise, was in Jesus Christ's body. He was the headquarters of God. He was the one through whom God operated from that time on and forever. And it'll never change. Woo! <laughs> mm, this is awesome. Flesh and blood had revealed this to you. But my Father, which is in heaven, 
See, it has to be revealed to you by the Spirit that Jesus is the Son of God. Amen. And so as a result of that, Jesus said this to Peter. Now, this is you can read all this on your own, Matthew 16. Jesus said this, and what I just quoted to you, or, or at least paraphrased to you, comes out of Matthew 16. Now, because of that revelation that Peter had about who Jesus was and is, Jesus looks at Peter. Whatsoever thou shalt bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. And whatsoever thou shalt loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Why is that? Because, Peter, I'm going to give you the keys to the kingdom. Just before that, he said, I'm going to give you the keys. No, not to the kingdom. I'm going to give you keys of the kingdom. So that whatsoever you bind on earth is bound in heaven. And whatsoever you loose on earth is loosed in heaven. All of heaven is behind what you what you preach, Peter. I'm behind what you preach. God's behind what you preach. The angels are behind what you preach. Everything in heaven is behind. You bind it on earth, it's bound in heaven. You loose it on earth, it's loosed in heaven. Why? Because you got a revelation of who I am. I'll give you the keys of the kingdom. Now, let me tell you what this doesn't mean, because I mean, you know, I might as well, as I, I'm just preaching from a flow here. That doesn't mean we walk through life and say, I bind this, and I bind that, and I, I loose that, and I loose this. A lot of us are walking through, I bind you in the name of Jesus. <laughs> I loose you in the name of Jesus, and nothing's happening. Things you're binding are not getting bound. And the things you're loosing are not getting loosed. You know why? Because it's not that. God didn't say whatever you think ought to be bound. He didn't say whatever you think ought to be loosed. What you got to find out is what the key of the kingdom is. You got to find out what God's doing in his kingdom. When you find out what God's doing in his kingdom, then you can say what he said in the heavens and make it and, and declare it here in the earth. Oh yeah, I see God. Ooh, yeah, right now, in his kingdom, he's operating this way right now. And in Jehovah, I bind that spirit because God said it's bound. I loose that. Okay. You got to see what God's doing. He'll make an idiot out of all of us. I said he'll make an idiot out of all of us. Hallelujah. So sometimes we think we're really big stuff. We're, big, we're tough and big stuff. And I'll bind you in the name of Jesus. And they go, what? Shut up. Shut up, man. Yeah. Get out of here, man. Who are you? <laughs> but you see, if you find out what God's doing, and you declare it in the earth, it's going to happen. I said, it's going to happen. And it's not wishful thinking. And it's not hopeful thinking. But anyway, let me go on. 
Will y'all let me go on? Man, you don't know what a miracle this is for me to stand up here and teach this Bible study. You don't know. You're witnessing a miracle right now. You are witnessing a miracle right now. Can I tell you something? Can it put the, the fear of God in me? Teach and search for truth. That puts the fear of God in me. It leaves me down here looking up. It's not when I preached Lamentation Sunday night. That, and all, you know, God really moved here, you know. <laughs> By the way, are any of y'all emotional tonight? <laughs> you know, who go, whoo, we had a move of God. I have more fear of God when I stand up here and teach a home Bible study called Search for Truth than I do anything I preach. Anything. I'm scared half to death. And some of us sit there and say, well, it did no search for truth again. Oh, blah, 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 blah. You're funny. This is, some of the, this is some of the greatest stuff that's ever been penned in history. Some of the greatest Bible study teaching that's ever been laid out for human mankind in history. Millions and millions of souls have come into the kingdom through a search for truth on Bible study. That's why I asked God, I said, God, I said, I need, I've got to have you anoint me tonight because we're putting this on tape for people to listen to, to help them teach Bible studies. And I've got to have it. I've got to get it right. I've got to have your anointing. I can't do this. It's too great. It's too large. Too awesome a Bible study. Woo! So he, who's got the keys then? Peter's got the keys of the kingdom. But he's not the only one that has the keys of the kingdom. God gave it to his church. He gave us the keys of the kingdom. Woo, give God praise. So he said, Peter, you got the keys of the kingdom. And keys are an instrument of access. They are a tool of access out of one dimension into another dimension, out of one room in the spirit into another room. When I talk about dimensions, I'm talking about he's got the keys of the kingdom. There are many doors and many keys, plural. I'll give you the keys, plural, of the kingdom. Not just the message that's going to get you into the kingdom. Watch. He's got the keys of the kingdom, so the key is a tool of entrance, access. Okay, Lord, let me just get my mind on you and Acts, because Peter's got the keys of the kingdom in the book of Acts. We better get with Peter. We better find out what has to be done to get into the kingdom and then to operate in that kingdom. There's one man that I know that Jesus gave the keys to in that early part of the gospel and that man's name is Jesus. I don't see him giving it to John. He gave it to one man. 
So if he's got the keys to the door into and of the kingdom, I better find out what that guy's got to say. I better find out what door and how that door is opened up. And so in Acts chapter 2, Peter standing up with the 12. He preaches to the Jews. And he tells them, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of sins. And you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. And the Jews came in to the kingdom on the day of Pentecost. And then 320 and then 3,000 more on the same day. And then the Bible says in Acts chapter 8, guess what? Got to go get Peter. Mighty revival is broken out in Samaria. But you got to go get Peter because he's got the keys. So he comes down and he preaches to the Samaritans. Repentance and what about Jesus and Jesus and into the Holy Ghost. Y'all know the story. And the Samaritans come into the kingdom of God. But Peter preached that to the Samaritans. And then in Acts chapter 10, verses 43 through 48, we got the Gentiles coming in to the kingdom. So, you know what I think I'll start doing? What I've always been doing. And that's preaching what that apostle preached. Not what the Pope says. And not what the organizational head said. But what Jesus said through Peter. Because Peter, you've got authority to bind and loose. All of heaven is behind what you say. Upon this rock. Upon this rock, I will. He didn't say I already have. He said upon this rock, I will build my church. I will build my church. And the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And I'm going to give you the keys, Peter. And nothing, nothing. Nothing can prevail against God's body. His assembly, nothing. But you've got to be plunged into the kingdom by the new birth. Mm, I better find out where the key is. Can I tell you something? How many of y'all, you got keys? Pull your keys out. I promise I won't keep you beyond midnight. You got keys? Lift, lift your keys. Lift your keys. I can guarantee you, without a shadow of a doubt, that there's only two people in this church that have the keys to my house. My wife and myself. If you want to get in my house, then you're going to have to get the key from my hand. If you want to get in his house, it's Jesus. It's God's house. Jesus, if you're going to get in his house, then you've got to go to somebody that he gave the key to that'll get you in that house. Because Sister Angie, her keys won't get her in my house. My keys won't get me in her house. 
so we better find out who's got the key to get in his house and then operate in all those rooms and dimensions inside of that house. So all, uh, all these people who are coming up with all this stuff, man's doctrine, they claim to have a key of knowledge. They claim to have a key of knowledge. But it won't unlock the door. I said it won't unlock the door. You can beg. You can sweat. You can hope. You can pray that that key will open the door. But I only know one man in that New Testament that started out at the first that had the keys. And what he preached, the rest of the apostles preached the same thing. They had the same key. And everybody that preaches the truth is going to have the same key that was given to Peter and the rest of those apostles. If you're trying, if you're trying to get in that house another way, you're a thief and a robber. The only door into this sheepfold is Jesus Christ. He's the only way. I said, he's the only way. He's the only way, I declare it. It's not how long your hair is, or how short your hair is, or how long your dress is, or how short your dress is. It's Jesus. And I'm not belittling all that. I believe that's important. But that's not what got you in there. Jesus got me in there. By the new birth. Okay. Oh, yeah. Let's talk about the path across there. At the end of about three and a half years of Jesus walking with his disciples. Last week of his life on the earth, he goes up to Jerusalem. When he gets to Jerusalem, he sees a little man by the name of Zacchaeus. He said, Zacchaeus, I must abide at your house today. That little man ran up the little tree so he could see. Let your neighbor say he ran up a tree so he could see. <laughs> oh, see, I got to be careful here. The, I'll just, I'll just, the wind will start carrying me. <laughs> but you know what's awesome to me? Is that in that culture, men don't run. They don't run. It's considered to be non-dignified for a man to run in that culture. But the Bible says, when Jesus is making his way toward Jerusalem, in Jerusalem there, that little Zacchaeus runs. He's so short, he can't see Jesus. He wants to see Jesus. So he runs, he climbs up a tree. He's a tax collector. He's hated. Jesus walks up to him and says, Zacchaeus, don't you know my name? Zacchaeus, I must abide in your house today. Amen. Give God praise. Jesus has come here. You know that. He's come here tonight to abide in your house today. But see, you've got to lay, lay aside some of your pride and some of your, your worldly accomplishments. Yeah, he's a great tax collector. 
but he's got to lay aside all of that and run and climb up a tree because he's too small to see. There's a powerful message in there. Zacchaeus, you better be there when he shows up. Because if you're, if you're not there, your time, your appointment, you'll miss your appointment, Zacchaeus. You better be in that tree. Because there is a time for you to be met by the Savior. And you better be there when it's your time to see him. A lot of people, though, have missed their opportunity. They've missed the time. You better be there when he shows up. And because he was there, he was there when Jesus showed up. Because of that, Jesus abode in his house that day. And it so, it so impacted his life. He said, whatever, whatever I stole, he said, I'll return it fourfold. I said, I've been a tax collector. I've lied, cheated, and everything else. Hallelujah. And I'll return it fourfold. Let's go on here. I'm, I'm just right here. I'm moving in this last time of Jesus. And then the Bible tells us he goes into a man's house by the name of Simon the Leper. The Leper. I'm a leper. Simon the Leper. And while he's there, all these Pharisees and scribes and religious people are in the same house. And this woman called Mary rushed through the door and begins to weep and cry, tears flowing down her face. Those tears drop to his feet. She unwinds her long hair and begins to dry his feet with her hair, which means this, she didn't have short hair. Now, now don't, don't get offended by that. Don't get offended by that. If you got short hair, you can let it grow. I'm talking about the ladies, of course. But she took that old bun, that Pentecostal bun down. <laughs> Begin to dry his feet. Are you ready? I know it. Monday I'm getting my stories mixed up. But anyway, y'all, check, check me out. I do know this, though. She anointed his head. I feel good. Anointed his head. And all these religious people in him appealing knew who she was. I don't know. Maybe I'm on the wrong story. I'm on the wrong story. I don't know. But anyway, make a long story short. He said this. Leave her alone. For she's anointed me for my burial. And in that house that, that night, I'm sure there was a grass, a gas for it. What did he say? That she anointed him for his burial? He's going to die? What do you mean? He's going to die. That's what he said. He's going to die. He's going to die. I said he's going to die. He told his disciples he was going to die. Amen? Give God some praise. To make a long story short, we finally get to the Last Supper. His disciples are there. But before the Last Supper, he looks at them and he says, hmm. 
I'm going to enter into Jerusalem. So you go over there and there's going to be somebody that's not even named who's got a coat, got an ass, and a coat, the fold of an ass. And just go tell them that the Lord hath need of them. Because I'm just ride into Jerusalem. Now maybe I need to back up with that, I don't know. Let me just read the story, okay? So he rides in to Jerusalem on a donkey, not a white stallion, not a white horse, not as a conquering war hero, but as a man offering peace. Up to that point, he did, he'd tell people, be quiet, don't announce that I'm the Messiah, but now I'm going to let everybody declare, publicly proclaim that I am Messiah. He rides into Jerusalem, and they take all these palm branches down, put it in front of him. Hosanna. Blessed is he who cometh in the name of the Lord. Crying the praises out. And those religious leaders all around there went to the disciples saying, Go tell your master to shut these people up. Tell them, quit praising. To shut them up. Jesus said this. He said, if they won't praise me, he said, the rocks will cry out. You Pharisees, you religious leaders, you won't praise him. But my disciples will praise him. You won't praise him. But my disciples will praise me and these children will praise me and these common people will praise me. And But if they don't praise me, if my disciples don't praise me, if the children won't praise me, then the rocks will cry out and praise me. There's an old song I remember. I'm not going to let a rock take my place. I'm not going to let a stone take my place. See, only religious people refuse to praise him. Only religious people refuse to worship him. But if I don't praise him, he's got somebody that will praise him. And if they don't praise him, he can make rocks to praise him. And I'll just be honest with you, and I'll just tell you this right now. I'll just tell you this right now. His disciples praise him today. Children praise him today. But I'll tell you this right now. The rocks praise him today. Because every time you turn on a radio, all that stuff, crystal stuff that's in there, all that stuff that's involved in the makeup of making those sounds, I want you to know he took the rocks and the rocks begin to praise him out of the radio systems. Rocks are praising him today. Every, he said, no one, he said, let everything that hath breath praise ye the Lord. If you got breath, he gave it to you. If you got breath, he deserves to be praised. Amen. This is going to go on the Lord's Supper. And he said, okay. He said, you go find that man. He's got those. That, 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 that coat and the, that, that ass and the fold of the ass, tell him, I just, the Lord hath needed him. Some nameless person. The Lord hath needed him. I'll tell you tonight, the Lord hath needed him. 
But then he told his disciples, he said, go and you'll see a man carrying a pitcher of water. Follow him and he'll take you to a room to be prepared for my supper with you. Isn't that interesting? God said, you look with a man with a pitcher. That's very rare also. See, there's all kinds of rare things happening in this last week of Jesus. See, normally men don't carry water pitchers. Women carry water pitchers. But he said, remember this. Remember Aquarius. The man's going to be the one that pours out his water, his spirit, on the day of Pentecost. So follow the man with a pitcher in his hand. The age of Aquarius is the time when God poured out the water of the spirit. That's why very uniquely a man was carrying a water pitcher in that final week of Jesus. We'll give God some praise. And follow him. He'll show you a room. There's going to get ready. Get ready for the Passover. They're going to have the Last Supper. And so they found, they saw that man carrying that water pitcher. They go into an upper room where Jesus has the Last Supper with his disciples right here now what's interesting about this last supper is that his disciples feet were filthy you know walking through the streets normally the host or, or the servant of the house would gird themselves and wash their guest feet John you and Peter are the host of the supper you should be the first ones to humble yourselves and bow down and wash your brother's feet and serve them but because you think too highly of yourself to stoop to the lowly since all you want to do is sit around this table and talk about who's going to be the greatest he said i'll show you who is great he said, he didn't say, I'm going to show you who will become great. He said, I will show you who is great. He that is servant of all is great. Not will become great, but is great. And so by example, he girded himself with a towel. He dropped down on his feet. He walked over to a big old rugged fisherman by the name of Peter. And he began to wash Peter's feet. Peter says at first, no. You're going to wash my feet. Jesus said, if I wash you not, you have no part with me. Peter said, my hands, my feet. Oh, hell. Jesus said, no, 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 no. Your feet's the only one I need to wash. The rest of you clean. I just got to wash your feet. Oh, okay. Go ahead, Lord. And so Jesus, the king of the universe, God, God come in flesh. I'm telling you how far did he come. 
I ask you today how far he came. He stooped down and he literally became a servant. He became a slave. And so he went so low that he washed his own disciples dirty, filthy, rough feet as an example to us that we are supposed to serve each other. And when we serve each other, when we humble ourselves in our mind we think we're great humbling ourselves to the low that's when we're great can i tell you something brother when you serve her when your wife serves her and the children that you have when you serve your wife that's when you become great when you serve that little girl that's when you become great in the eyes of god and yes, I do know you, I do recognize that you are not just a servant to her, but you are authority over her and must raise her in the things of God. But I'm telling you today that some of us need to get a revelation of service because whenever I understand this, it will help me to serve my wife. It'll help me to serve my little boy and serve my little girl instead of getting upset when they have something they want me to do. My, oh, you're getting on my nerves. Get out of here. Oh, you, oh, you're not hearing me right now. If I can understand that somehow when I can, if, if I think I'm better than they are, if I think I'm greater than they are, that when I stoop down and I serve them, that's when I am great, not when I'm going to become great. And God said, I'm, Jesus said, God, that's right. God said, I have given you an example of what you're to do to each other. And he doesn't mean that we have to all the time get together and literally wash each other's feet. We do that, and that's powerful. We believe in a little foot washing. But what he's really saying is this, learn to serve. Because if you learn to serve, you're not going to become great, but you are great in the kingdom of God. And I've left you an example. Jesus, God himself, say, okay, Peter, John, you're the host, but this is beneath you. I'll do it, Peter. The organization that I was once a part of, whenever you became ordained, you know what that gave you? They give you a towel as a symbol of your ministry. This is what ministry is about. That's what they would say. So, if you have desire to be great, serve. I'm telling you tonight, I'm not worthy to preach this, but I've got a revelation of it. And I want to walk in it. I said, I want to walk in it. To be served or to serve. Jesus said, to be served makes you the great. To serve, it makes you the greatest in the kingdom of God. Give God praise. And so after he washes his disciples' feet, Tells them. They're over here talking to me. Can you imagine this? This is his final hours. And the disciples are all fussing and fighting about who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom of God. 
Who's going to sit on his right hand? Who's going to sit on his left hand? Who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom of God? And so Jesus said, I'll show you who's the greatest. I was his servant. And in the midst of all this fussing and fighting, could not they get a revelation of the fact that this is his final hours with them before his death? And all they can do is fuss and bicker and be jealous about who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom. And it's his final hours before the cross. He tells me, he says, there's one among you right now who will betray me. Betray you, Jesus. How can that be? One from among us, one from the midst of us will betray you. How can that be? They really, you know, it, the way the story reads, it's like they, they, they didn't really hear what he said. Because they, I don't, I don't think they could grasp the fact, brother, that he was going to be betrayed by somebody in their midst. And he says, Jesus says this, he that gets, gets the salt and it is with me, he it is that would betray the Son of Man. God. And just about that time, he dips into that, that lamb and that gravy, that salt, that bread, and Jesus, at the same time, does it. Jesus looks at him and says, what thou doest, do quickly. Jesus rises up, he walks out the door, and the disciples still don't get it. Well, Jesus must be sending him on some business to take care of. They still don't get it that Judas is the betrayer of the Son of God. Can't believe it. The Bible says when Judas Iscariot gets up, he walks out, and behold, it was dark. He walked out on the light of the world. You see, and in, uh, we need to get a hold of this message tonight, because this man sat with Jesus, this man ate with Jesus, this man cast out demons with the rest of the apostles. He walked with Jesus, he heard the words of Jesus, he was in the church, I was, you know. But he walked out of the church. Walked out of the light of the world. And behold, it was dark. That's what would happen to any of us if we walk out on the Lord. We walk out. We walk away from the light of the world. And behold, it is dark. Not just natural darkness, but spiritual darkness. Jesus said he was a devil. The devil came and possessed him. His disciples going around the table, they said, is it I, is it I, is it I, is it I, is it I? Because even they understood that the possibility was still in them to betray him. Judas leaves, they still don't get it. And after that, Jesus administers the Lord's Supper to them. Judas did not partake of it. They were observing the Passover meal here. 
that Jesus institutes the Lord's Supper. He takes the cup, which represents his blood. He takes the bread, which represents his body that was broken for us. And we'll get to that in a minute. And he observes the Lord's Supper with them on that night. But Judas wasn't there. He could not be there. 